next on NHL Fantasy on Ice. Rob and Pete discuss whether the Hurricanes can muster a win in the series and toss around some tweaks that Rod Brindamore may have to make. Where's Vladimir Tarasenko? Why is his production dried up? And the boys wonder whether the Sharks are just too deep for St. Louis. The conference finals roll on. It's NHL Fantasy on Ice. Glad to have you with us on this Monday morning. Pete and Rob talking Stanley Cup playoffs with you. Rob, how's it going, man? It seems like the storm is subsiding a little bit with the Carolina Hurricanes. I agree with you, Pete. Doing well this morning. I will say, you know, what's different to me in this round versus the first two, for whatever reason, I feel like the small sample size. We've seen two games with Carolina-Boston and one with San Jose um, in St. Louis right now. But I will, I will say, I, I feel like I have a pulse on these series and where the outcome's heading, where I didn't in the first two rounds. And that tends to happen, I feel like, the deeper you go, you see uh, the flaws magnified in a team, and you see the strengths, uh, you know, you just put more trust in that. Early on, there's um, a lot more unpredictability, and we saw a ton of upsets. I felt like we both came into this round with a clear sense of which team. I mean, we've been following this stuff all year, right? So uh, we kind of had uh, concerns for the Sharks maybe about St. Louis. But on the other side, it's not really too shocking what's gone on through the first two games. No, I, I'm with you there. And, and we look at Carolina in round one. They were down in a 2 nothing hole against Washington. But, but to me... Those games were close. I mean, they were close on paper, too. There was an OT game, two to decide one. So this just feels like a night and day experience. So are the Hurricanes, not to write them off right at the top of the show, but the Carolina Hurricanes going back home to Raleigh, great atmosphere. They are still undefeated in the postseason. So maybe it's foolish for anybody to count them out just yet. But are the Carolina Hurricanes done on this Monday morning? The Carolina Hurricanes are finished as of Monday morning. And I would like to be optimistic about them going home. You, you mentioned that they have not lost a home game yet in the playoffs, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. But to me, this thing completely came off the hinges in Boston. We, we saw Boston. They have 19 players now in the postseason with a goal. I mean, that's ridiculous ridiculous that stat they have guys scoring on every line on every deep area and they've got rookies scoring in their postseason debuts everything is going in and to me Pete I don't think it matters if you make a switch in net and this depth scoring for Boston has exceeded my expectations and I picked Boston to win the cup at the beginning of the playoffs it Marcus Johansson has multi-point games in each of his each of the first two games of the series and then you're seeing highlight real goals from Matt Grizzlick from Chris Wagner, <laughs> the, the list goes on. They're all producing. David Backus is scoring now. That continued from round two to round three. And we mentioned one of the biggest keys for Boston in this series was their defensive scoring. So we talked about Grizzlick already, but the thing is, Pete, there's no goals yet from McAvoy. There's no goals yet from Krug. So if, we, if we've seen them put up six goals in two consecutive games, what are we going to see in the third game if, if McAvoy and Krug start going too? I know, it's Stephen Kampfer, it's two goals for Matt Krizlik and Connor Clifton, guys that 
the average hockey fan have probably never heard of, to be honest. So, yeah, Boston's in the driver's seat. It, I thought it was funny the other day you said that you set the bar low. If the Bruins get two goals from their defensemen in the whole series, Carolina might have trouble. They had two goals from Grizzly alone in game <laughs> right. number two and four goals from their defensemen in two games. Yeah, no, that, that was that was the key, and, and that they've already smashed expectations there. But I think on that note, like for Carolina's perspective – you have Mrazek who, you know, he's not really at fault for many of the goals in this series. Should they pull him, though? I, see, that's the thing I'm torn on. I really don't believe so. I don't think that you have a guy on the bench in Curtis McElhaney that's going to come in and steal the series. I think if you might have maybe a rookie netminder on the bench that's a highly touted prospect that has the ability to play out of his mind, maybe he won a game at World Juniors or something in crazy fashion, right? I think in that event, you'd be a little bit more inclined to just take a gamble, have your team rally around like a rookie netminder a la Jordan Bennington in December, but it's at the point now where we know what Curtis McElhinney is. He's a very good backup goalie, but I just think it when it comes down to Carolina winning a game or two at home, they've got to have more scoring. They've got to trade chances better with the Bruins. It seems like the team's confidence has been shaken, even to see Justin Williams, their trusted captain, engaging with Brad Marchand. I know it's a perfect case of uh, Marshan, you know, got the high stick on him or hooked him or whatever. Williams reacts, and then they see what happens when Williams reacts. But you got to be better. You got to rise above that stuff. And Brad Marshan honestly has risen above that stuff uh, ever since that uh, punch to the back of the head of the Columbus player in the second round. He has been a guy that has continued to engage, but then pulls back and lets everything result from it. So I think we're seeing a different level of Brad Marchand's angst and his uh, <laughs> antics, but they're not hurting the team, which is most important. And here we are in oh-so-familiar territory speaking about Brad Marchand and the antics again. This is why they win series. This kind of stuff at the end of a game that leaves a sour taste in the other team's mouth. They're going to be a little bit off-kilter when they start the game. They're going to have their defensemen maybe going after Brad Marchand, potentially leaving a wide open David Pasternak in the middle of the ice. So you're right. It's not hurting the Bruins right now. In fact, it's benefiting them. And a guy like Justin Williams, who's 39 years of age, who's been in every single situation, in every single playoff game imaginable, for him to come off the hinges like that really, to me, makes this series one and done. And just rubbing salt in the wound, I think, was when Martian put the little C on his chest. It's just too funny. But no, again, I think that this team still has the resiliency maybe to win a game. I wouldn't be shocked at all if they won game number three, Carolina, uh, thanks to their veteran leaders. Also, on McElhenney's case, I mean, he has been a career backup, like you said, but he had a 947 save percentage in three games in the second round. So you have turned to this guy in the past. All all season long it was a timeshare tandem between these two I, I don't think there's any harm I mean Mrazek got you here but it's different than like a Jordan Bennington I would stick with Jordan Bennington you only lost one game I might go back to McElhenney here uh, just for a spark and I don't think there's any harm in doing so I I, I just think that Mrazek has proven to come up with some big stops when they need it. I, he beat the Caps with, what, an 899 save percentage? And that was because they were really limiting uh, the Caps' high-quality chances, whereas Boston has kind of come in and dominated at will. So I'm looking at their blue line, Dougie Hamilton, Justin Falk, Pesci, 
Slavin. Those are the guys that need to make a stick check every now and then. You can't just let these guys come in, set up shop. That's why David Backus is on the score sheet, because they're setting up shop. They're getting tips. Pucks are getting through to the net. No one's clearing these guys out. They can't do it. They're getting beat by the physicality. So we need to see Carolina counter with speed. I hope that they have the guts to make a couple line adjustments for Game 3 because that is a must-win game. And the Boston Bruins also dominating on the power play so far. They have two goals on the power play in each of the first two games, four for seven in the series, and Carolina uh, in game number two went 0 for 4. So you give Boston power play opportunities, they will make you pay almost every time, and you're not getting back in this series committing penalties, especially on home ice. They have to be a little more disciplined. And Carolina was only 10% effective on the power play entering this series. So we need to see an adjustment here. And I do think the onus falls on head coach Rod Brindamore, who you can say every good thing about up until this point in the playoffs. But this is the time. You, you're running out of time to make an adjustment. Put Dougie Hamilton, I've said this again, I sound like a broken record. Said put it in him, March. Yeah, put him on the top power play. Like There's no, what, there's no reason to, to, to be stubborn at this time of year. And on Boston's side, a guy that's on the top power play that's starting to produce in this series, uh, Jake DeBrusque. We both liked him before the series because of his shot volume. How about game two? He had a goal, second goal of the game to really set the tone and had six shots on goal. That's what we would have expected from Jake DeBrusque. And it seems to be coming from all different directions in Boston's assault. He is the epitome of a player that you watch during a game. and You're like, wow, he's going to be really good. Or wow, it's only a matter of time before he gets a goal because everything coming off of his stick is going on the other team's net so when he's going when that second line is taking pressure off the top guys by the way Dan Heinen scored in the game too so you're looking at uh, we talked about Marcus Johansson already so we've named so many different contributions already from the Bruins I mean where does this thing end we're, we're not we haven't even Pete it's been 10 minutes and we haven't even talked about their top line yet and that's a good sign for Boston's chances of maybe making quick work. I know we discussed that in the conference final preview episode. There is a chance that they could make quick work of this team, and that seems to be where it's trending. When you're getting three assists from Charlie Coyle and multi-point games almost every night from Marcus Johansson, I mean, that third line through and through has been really strong for Boston through the first, or through the second and third round of this postseason. And then you go back to the... The first round, I mean, we were. you said uh, DeBrusque has been passing the eye test all along. Remember when they were playing horribly against Toronto and he was the only guy creating rushes, creating chances? Now he's starting to capitalize and finish. That's a scary thing for the rest of the NHL. It really is scary. And a few notes for the Carolina Hurricanes. I think the, the player that comes to mind, and this is not to put onus on anybody or blame on anybody because no one, you're, you're playing a very quality team in the Bruins. But I look at a rookie, Andrei Svechnikov, as a player that I want to see a little bit more from. We know he has the talent. He was picked number two overall. He scored almost, a, I mean, he scored 45 goals in juniors in, in a crazy amount of games. So where is this Andrei Svechnikov now? We saw him score a couple of goals against the Islanders. He scored a goal or two against the Caps. But you need to show up in the big games. You need to play like an impact player. If you're going to get 12 minutes a game, that's not a lot of ice time, but you got to do something with it. You got to make some quality chances. You got to put something on net. You got to score. Otherwise, you're going to be at home watching the, the Stanley Cup final. And he's gotten some looks on the top line in the past few games. I think that Svechnikov has done a lot of his production 
in right early in the series against the Capitals, he was doing it when they were trailing in those games before he got injured. Games one and two, he was getting his points. Uh, he had his goal against the Islanders as the fourth or fifth goal in what was a series route. Game four, they were about to sweep him. He scored the last goal. Let's get a big goal from Andrei Svechnikov in a big moment early on in Game 3 to set the tone and maybe turn the tide in this series. Because other than that, I'm not seeing any spark from Nino Niederreiter. We're seeing production from a Teravainen, but it hasn't been earth-shattering. Somebody needs to uh, up the ante and give a little spark plug to this roster. That's exactly what I'm saying, because I don't believe that Svechnikov should be on that top line. He is talented to do so, but not... Not against the Bruins. That top line with Ajo has got to be matched up with Bergeron. We know every responsibility that that line has. It's clean cut, clear as day. But Svechnikov, he has an advantage. If he goes out on the third line, take advantage of the Charlie Coyle line. Get a better matchup. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? They're going home now. They've got last change. They'll have an opportunity to get Svechnikov and unleash that true potential. I'm tired of these two-shot on-goal games by him. I want to see an explosive five shots, one goal, get something going. It, uh, like we always say, it takes that one goal. If Brindamore puts his lines in the blender, he could go back. I always were seeing since he came back, Michael Furland on the fourth line. How about Michael Furland on the first line and throw him up against Brad Marchand before it's too little, too late? That's a wrinkle that maybe Carolina could utilize here in game number three. Just to put a bow on this thing, if I had to make a wager right now, I I would definitely put my chips on the side of the table that has a Boston sweep. And again, this is nothing that I don't think Carolina is a good home team. It has nothing to do with that. They're a great home team. But I have yet to see any power play adjustments through the first two rounds of the playoffs by them. I have yet to see a defenseman step up and, and make that stretch pass that springs his Fetchnikov, that springs Ajo, that allows him to get a little bit more free out there. And then their goaltending situation. If they're going to stick with Mrazek in Game 3 and he loses again, then you run out of room. There's no more road there to go to McLean. You're just throwing darts at a wall at that point and hoping something sticks. I think Carolina could win Game 3. I think they will. I think you can put the broom back in the closet for a second <laughs> and hold your horses on the sweep. But I do think Bruins probably in 5. This has been convincing fashion. And even if Carolina gets the spark, I think Boston will squash them in Game 4 probably clean this thing up in game five yeah it's it's probably not going to be like that the rink nationwide arena where they said that you, you couldn't bring brooms into the arena for uh game four it, that was hilarious by the way but um to turn it to the out west sharks and blues we saw another kind of just eruption from san jose in terms of every line seems to be doing something one game it's hurdle the next game it's couture and just coincidentally they sit atop of the nhl leaderboard and goals in the postseason and couture is at the top in points and goals i believe and he had three points timo meyer had three points i was looking Gustav Nyquist has nine assists, which leads all Sharks mm -hmm. forwards, so that's significant. And, yeah, every other game, it's Tomas Hurdle. So we get Mark Edward Vlasic chipping in. We're not even hearing too much. I mean, they were the interesting thing about this game was uh, they came. the Blues came at them physically. Eric Carlson was getting knocked into the boards repeatedly. 
Logan Couture on the play that St. Louis scored its first goal. He got smashed into the boards. The physicality was there for St. Louis, but there was a lack of discipline and response to what San Jose was doing offensively. That's I, I was watching this game with a friend of mine, and, and I noticed that Carlson thing. I think the Blues almost game plan, like, hey, let's let's be physical on Eric Carlson. Like He's played a lot of minutes. Let's grind him down. But he was still able to create some distractions, get the puck out, make plays. And then you mentioned their forward group. I mean, that that physicality by St. Louis just it didn't have the the answer for 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 San Jose. I mean, Gustav Nyquist was amazing in, in that game, right? So I, I don't think that physicality. Well, it, that's how the West sometimes plays. I really think the Blues they need to trade chances here. They need Tarasenko, their number one guy, to get going here. We said it before the series, San Jose's depth scoring, I think, is superior to St. Louis, and we saw it on full display in Game 1. Highlight real goal, Timo Meyer. Highlight real goal, Kevin LeBanc. That's really all you need to say. If those guys are chipping in, St. Louis is not going to win this series. So we're going to need more from Braden Shen, who's in a seven-game point drought. Nobody's talking about him. Nobody's harping on him. Where's Braden Shen? He's playing on the top line with Tarasenko. Where's Tarasenko? Where are these guys? <laughs> we, we like these guys in the regular season. It's time to show up, win game two, and send it back to St. Louis all knotted up. So, yeah, right, because we are we are speaking kind of heavily in favor of the Sharks right now, it might have something to do with the fact that we picked them in preseason. And I kind of just, I think subconsciously, I gravitate towards that pick in a bias a little bit. But truthfully, when you watch this game, you saw San Jose find that next gear. And they found this next gear against a quality team. It's not like they, you know, have been taking it off the gas a little bit. Like they really came out and made a statement that they are going to be hard to play against. And we saw on Twitter, a friend of the program, Dave Satriano, he made a comment about maybe if you're the Blues, you switch up, switch the backup goaltender, Jake Allen. I'm just not seeing that. I'm not at that point with the Blues yet. I mean, I know Bennington allowed six goals, but it's the San Jose Sharks we're talking about here. Like, they were threading passes. They were having high-quality shots. It's not like Bennington could have done a whole lot more. That comment was not well-received uh, by the Twitter <laughs> folks, by the way, but we, we, we love Dave. He, he made a fair point. Bennington had maybe his worst or second-worst game of the entire postseason, so you start to think maybe at the tail end of that game, maybe bringing in Jake Allen. But yeah, for game two, at least with Bennington's road track record, I know Jones is really strong at home, but I think Bennington could steal a game in game two. And if he gets lit up again, then maybe you go to Jake Allen in game three at home. But even still, I trust Jordan Bennington. You dance with the guy or whatever, the goalie that got you here. And I would stick with Jordan Bennington probably for the rest of the series, regardless of how poorly he plays in game two. And if you subscribe to old adages, you're never in trouble until you lose a game at home I certainly don't subscribe to that belief but people there are people that think that so by that logic neither Carolina <laughs> nor, nor St. Louis are in trouble <laughs> yet um, even if St. Louis drops this next game they are still technically by that theory not in trouble how about Joe Pavelski another mm -hmm. Cole mm -hmm. he's come back we said he'd be the x-factor he looks healthy he's tipping pucks he's knocking pucks in mid-air hand-eye coordination he looks 100 percent to me and we didn't even talk about it in game seven he played like 20 minutes 
He's so, like a vintage he's a wine, this guy. I mean, he doesn't even need... He's so good at tipping pucks that he doesn't even need to possess the puck much. He can just go in front of the net, set up. He's a very strong player, and then use his stick in a way that he'll just get a deflection on a shot coming from the left point. I mean, it's completely random, but he gets everything in front of the net. He's definitely the cream of the crop in the league, even at 34 years old and free agent to be... Joe Pavelski is the cream of the crop in terms of tipping pucks, net front presence. And yeah, whether it goes in off his stick, off his head, it doesn't matter. Right? <laughs> Joe Pavelski going is uh, getting it in the net. So. And then Brent Burns, too, another player I wanted to, to mention. I just can't get over the fact that he's doing this year in, year out, series in, series out. He's up to 15 points in the playoffs now. And it just seems like even when you don't notice him in a game, all of a sudden he's getting like the secondary assist on a goal. He's just the one. He's like the mastermind behind all of these plays. I always notice him. I always see him hurling pucks at the net. He's If you're in that mindset, pucks at the net and taking your chances, he's always throwing them. That's why you see in the score in the regular season him rack up 300 shots on goal over an 82-game season. Brent Burns is the king of that. Whether it's from outside, he gets inside, he finds his teammates, he gets pucks on net for rebounds so that guys like Hurdle and guys like Pavelski that are standing and gravitating around the net and the crease can tap it in and create more offense even when the bounces aren't going for them and for Carlson his counterpart he's up to 13 assists now it's still we're on the Carlson goal watch alert there's still no goal there but just imagine if he gets going if he gets that goal and then all of a sudden he gets hot because he kind of plays the same way where he'll throw a lot of pucks at the net or he'll throw them in deep get them in deep and all of a sudden then you've got Nyquist cycling you've got Couture cycling and then it's just kind of you just get that sense it's like sharks and water it's a great example you just get that sense something bad going to happen for St. Louis all of a sudden red lights on I still don't think we've even seen the best or even close to the best from San Jose's power play they went one for four they've had a lot of games this postseason where they've scored a power play goal but maybe had four or five attempts and uh, it seems like sometimes they have trouble like entering the zone mm -hmm. or completing their passes in transition because maybe they're getting too excited. But then the one goal they did score was on a five-on-three Pavelski when he tapped it in. So I still think higher gear ahead for the Sharks power play. And I, I mean, honestly, I'm looking ahead. I'm trying not to dismiss the Blues and dismiss the Hurricanes, but I'm really excited for maybe what could be a seven-game series in the cup final between the Bruins and the Sharks. And we could see these two teams go head-to-head because -head we've wanted to see these two teams uh, together all season long. I don't know if it's the rainy Monday morning type of day, but I really am thinking about the cup final already. I'm kind of just getting the sense that San Jose's figured it out. I'm getting the sense that Boston knows they have the upper hand. And great teams, they have an ability, a great ability to close in the sense that it's so casual, just so buttoned up, well-oiled machine. I think that's what you're going to see in Boston. And I really do think after watching San Jose a lot in round two, where they kind of let some of those opportunities slip away here and there against Colorado, waited the last, literally like the last minute to close that thing out. I think a veteran team like that has learned. They've taken some notes. They've got a great thing going on at SAP Center now. I really believe that they're going to make quick work out of the St. Louis team. I mean, they when they have the motivation, they're a scary team. They take care of business. They rise to the occasion when they when they have that lesser uh, 
you know, attention span, I guess you could say, then that's where these teams sneak up on them. As far as St. Louis in game two, do you, I mean, their most productive line in terms of rushes and everything has been the third line. Maroon scored big goals in the previous series. Robert Thomas has looked like one of their best players Mm -hmm. on the ice. If you're looking at one of their three lines to bank on as a potential response. I mean, we haven't seen very much from the Tarasenko group. So is it really that third line that you maybe tap into from a fantasy angle? Ooh, to me, I'm selling on that. And and look, Robert Thomas, we could spend five minutes talking about how bright the future is for him. He looks like a world-class talent that just needs to start putting it together consistently. I think the sky's the limit for him. But it has to be. If you're spending money in DFS on this Blues team, I'm not taking anybody other than Tarasenko. At this point, I'll tell you why. He looks, and, and there's just this is a gut feeling, but he looks like he's just going to have one of those Tarasenko games where he has two goals or three goals. But for whatever reason, the puck's kind of bouncing on his stick or the pass isn't making it over to him on the half wall. There's just that like something that's a little bit off, and I don't think the onus is entirely on him because, look, at the end of the day, you can't expect Tarasenko to take the puck from behind his own net, behind Jordan Bennington, skate the thing all the way up, make a deke on one of the, you know, Brent Burns or Eric Carlson and then put it barred down. I mean, as much as we all like think about things in like a video game reality, it just doesn't work that way. So I want someone on his line to set him up, get one of those goals in. And we all know for Tarasenko, once he starts scoring, it, it could literally come in bunches in one single period of a game. And he's not that type of player that goes coast to coast very often. He's the sniper. He's the finisher. He needs some help around him. And he looks frustrated a little bit. This is not his first postseason go, go around far from it it's also not his first postseason I think there are at least two or three that he has dried up at one series or another and this is now multiple series that he hasn't really done much at even strength so he is the guy that can turn this series around in a jiffy in game number two but that being said just to play devil's advocate How many programs during the regular season did we talk about Tarasenko maybe being a buy low or a bounce Mm -hmm. back? I mean, it was almost week in, week out. We were looking at the shot volumes. We liked what Tarasenko had going on. We loved their new line combinations when they came out, when they started to win. But he wasn't really the driving force consistently behind them winning. It was different guys in the lineup. We saw their second line at the end of the regular season. They were the ones that rose up, that started scoring goals. And then the lead off the playoffs, we saw Jaden Schwartz take over as the goal scorer. And Ryan O'Reilly had a much, much, much better regular season than Tarasenko Mm -hmm. from an assist standpoint, producing at a point per game. For a while, they weren't playing on the same line, and he was still producing. Tarasenko was not prompting them to put them together. Now they're still making line tinkers with with Shen versus O'Reilly at center position. So just something to look at the full course of the season. This is, like you said, this has not been a thing that has popped up over the past couple of weeks. It's been something that we've been confounded about all season long for Tarasenko. And just to be clear, I would still be putting my chips with Tarasenko. I still believe that he has that upside that no one else on that team does. So it's not that I'm I'm down on him. I'm just, I'm just giving a word of caution that, okay, we've been saying this a lot. We've been waiting for this to happen, but we haven't seen any results from it. The only problem for me is I look at San Jose's roster and forget about Burns and Carlson. I see about six or seven different forwards that I've seen more from this postseason Mm -hmm. than I've seen from Vladimir Tarasenko. 
So if you're picking up what we've been putting down, I'm definitely, I, you don't have to stand with me on this one, Pete, but I'm definitely already thinking about a little teal, a little yellow in the cup final. But I do think, I do think that, you know, St. Louis, they have a great opportunity to respond. They can respond. It's just the old question that we've been asking week in and week out, who's going to step up and score the goal? Is it going to be Jaden Schwartz? Or are we really going to see this team find that new gear with Tarasenko at even strength? For the sake of Blues fans, even John Hams of the world, <laughs> they're going to need some other names other than Jaden Schwartz. Jaden Schwartz has been a great story, but he's not going to take you to the Stanley Cup final. Those other names we mentioned have a chance to do so. All right, Petey, that'll do it for us today. Remember, you can follow us and hit us up on Twitter at NHL Jensen for Pete, at NHL Reese for myself. And you can subscribe for free to this show on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review on iTunes if you get the chance. A lot of new listeners these days, so we appreciate you tuning in. Also, check out the other podcasts in the NHL Podcast Network, NHL Executive Suite and NHL Draft Class. They're talking a lot about Capo Caco these days after he scored five goals in his first two World Championship games. So for Rob Reese, Pete Jensen saying so long. Thanks so much for listening to NHL Fantasy on Ice.